Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. As Perfectly Posh's Chief Operating Officer, Janae Woodard is responsible for the acquisition, presentation, operation, and improvement of the systems that create and deliver the product and brand experience to influencers and consumers, including the full supply chain cycle and customer care. Janae's 25-year career has focused on the full supply chain and the opportunity to work in large-volume brick-and-mortar retail, small electronic manufacturing, and global e-commerce retail. Over the last five years, Janae has specialized in high-growth direct sale companies providing supply chain best practice leadership to drive performance and improve costs, both in domestic and international markets. Today, we're going to talk all things e-commerce from the floor of NetSuite 2019. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, Janae. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I tell you, I'm excited to chit-chat. The Perfectly Posh brand is all about pampering. Uh, so I hope as our listeners are tuning in today, you're thinking about pampering yourselves uh, through a great brand that we're going to learn about. Tell us more about your journey landing you at Perfectly Posh. Well, uh, thanks for the opportunity. So we are most definitely a pampering brand, but on the op side, that doesn't always, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not always pampering. So um, essentially, I've got about 25 years in operations, both B2B and B2C, full end supply chain, right? And I'm typically tasked as a executive or a C-suite in coming into organizations where momentum has really carried past their ability to grow and it's starting to impact their momentum. And um, organizations bring me in and uh, to bring in best practices and then grow the business either uh, domestically or by expanding markets. And that's really, really what I enjoy doing. And um, I've had a fantastic opportunity at Perfectly Posh, and we've been able to turn that around from probably a not-so-pampering experience in the <laughs> middle of their growth from a consumer standpoint to an extremely pampering experience. I'm really, really proud of my team. Well, and it's not easy coming into an organization in most situations that is entrepreneurial-led. Oh, and, yes, that's and, so true. And, and what they're asking you to do is kind of step in and change what they change in some situations their vision but also the operations that maybe not be working with the fast growth that they're achieving so what are some of the crossroads that you've experienced and some of the retooling if you will that you mentioned that have really helped you draw that line in the sand that ultimately allows you to push in to position the company rather for the growth that they that they are expecting you know that's a great question so um, when I come in, one of the first things that's, that's really, really critical is setting an expectation up front. So it's not unusual for me to go into an interview and say, hey, look, you're not interviewing to replace someone or bring someone in at my level unless the pain has gotten so bad that you are ready to do anything to take the pain away and to bring back 
the organization that you loved, right? These right. entrepreneurs don't start these things, um, don't start these um, incredible companies without there being a true passion and they're really wanting to deliver their dream. So the key thing is I have to set the expectation right up front that your dream has become encumbered mm. with either processes or, or individuals that have been potentially maybe over promoted or, or just don't understand world-class processes. And we've and we've all got to be very entrepreneurial in spirit. You know, I'm not coming into a group where I've got, you know, 15 directors and 35, you know, frontline managers. Right. You know, you've got to be willing to get in there and dig in and do it. And so absolute number one thing is setting expectations. That's great. And then number two is measuring the day you hit the field. Because inevitably, your entrepreneurial founder or CEO is going to need to understand and you're going to need to lead with data when you have to tell him or her, no, we can't do it that way anymore, but we can do this. And in, in my circle, that's what I'm known for is no, but no, we've yeah. got to change this entrepreneurial and way that's actually causing downstream problems, but we can still keep your vision and we can even help you go faster. And that's what they're looking for is the solution. Um, just don't tell me I can't do it. Tell me how to make it better. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I, you know, I love this concept of entrepreneurialism. A lot of the big, big businesses out there are hard or are um, rather purchasing small entrepreneurial nimble businesses so that they can have some of that entrepreneurialism within the organization. But really you as an operations person coming in and changing um, the floodgates, if you will, are providing that entrepreneurialism as well so that they can maintain that small, nimble vision um, that they had maybe as they started the business out of the basement of their home or whatever their personal story might be. Now, the, the Posh brand is something uh, that is uh, very, very responsible on many, many different levels. You've got the consumer facing pieces that are naturally based, cruelty free. And actually, I think it's worth noting that the Posh brand is actually delivered through in-market consultants and that host parties. Yes. Tell us more before we get into this, tell us more about the actual brand and how that business model works. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you noticed that on our site as you were taking a look at it, because that's very, very important. Um, when I go out and I talk with our brand influencers, which is uh, what we talk call these individuals, both men and women. The key is my focus is I'm providing them with a turnkey business that allows them to build a business of their, their chosen size. And I handle everything from every item in the supply chain. So if they want to have inventory to do a pampering party, they absolutely can. But the key is, is that from the beginning of a product's life cycle, all the way to that final moment that the customer opens that product up that she just got from the door, everything needs to be beautifully presented, pampering experience, exceptionally focused on the customer having an incredible experience. So we have branded packaging. The fulfillment functionality is, is very robust so that when they place an order, it's not, you're not dependent on your influencer being able to get out the door right there that day. They will see that order ship and process 
and typically we have a two-day delivery. That's great. Now, brand compliance cannot be easy uh, when you've got all these individual consultants out there mirroring the brand ultimately that you want administered into, into the market. How do you maintain brand compliance? That's a great question. So there's a couple of things. Number one, it's been really, really critical that we keep the brand simple. We, our founder is phenomenal. And one of the things that she has, her key to the brand is we are intentionally shallow. Mm -hmm. We are not going to cure cancer. We are not going to clean your bathroom. We are not here to change your kids. What we are going to do is give you the ability and permission to pamper yourself with naturally based products that are globally sourced but manufactured in the United States. And so one of the things that really helps us is we don't have a bunch of complicated compliance issues because we're not trying to go out and and tell people about medically or FDA approved items because we're a hand cream, we're a chunk, right? Which is our soap, right? We are a fizzy bath fizzy. These are items that everybody can talk about and have a great experience. So uh, from that aspect, we, that helps us maintain brand compliance. But in addition, because I handle so much of the supply chain, then the final brand experience uh, is actually supported by us, which really helps maintain and provide that super high level of brand experience and final touch and feel. I love it. Now, none of that happens without great strategic planning in place, of course. Absolutely. Talk to us or maybe give us some tips about your process. So one of the things is all of our products are contract manufactured, but they are contract manufactured specifically for us. So that means that we've got some pretty decent lead times in our supply chain. So I actually have a very robust supply chain team, and I sit down personally with our CMO and we talk through what are some of her vision over the next four to six months on what she would like to see us move the needle on, right? And then what we do is we build our supply chain purchasing and demand planning around that, as well as we've got a significant number of limited time offers that we introduce. And uh, so we're, we're actively buying for those as well. That's great. So really working hand in glove with marketing to make sure that we understand what products are actually going to have a jump in consumption over and above kind of what their standard consumption is. You know, and I love what you're talking about because I don't think, and I, I don't mean for this to come off negative, uh, but I don't think enough people within the C-suite are talking these days. Um, there's so many... We're, we're all so busy and there's so much happening um, that operationally you've got marketing doing what they're doing, sales, you know, off, uh, you know, at trade shows, whatever it might be, and, and ops just making sure that the systems are in place and that we can deliver product. That communication that you talk about with your CMO uh, is so relative and so important. Is that something that you've pushed within the organization? Yes. Um, it's interesting that you say that. So, so typically when I go into an interview with a new organization, the very first thing they say is, oh my gosh, our supply chain is broken. Everything's late. There's always problems. Nothing's ever on time. They can't ever get anything delivered. It's all out of inventory, right? 
I'm sure right. everybody's heard that. And so I kind of sit back and I let them talk about that and let them kind of get it off their chest. And then I give them some feedback. Supply chain problems are typically indicators of illness all the way up into the very beginnings of the organization. Right. And so uh, one of the very first things I do is I come in and I sit down with the supply chain, which is usually pretty demoralized. And I come in and I bring them into a no fear environment. And typically I start talking with them about what is it going to take to enable your success, right? So we're measuring from day one. And um, I go in and I say, hey, you know, we want to start measuring right now. We want to start reporting. And there's a little bit of discomfort. And I said, hey, you always want to binge before you go on Biggest Loser, <laughs> right? You never, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's get the measurement right now. The next piece is then I, um, I start with a marketing meeting and I have it once a week and I tell marketing and product development that if they want anything out of supply chain, it has to come to that meeting. Right. If it doesn't come to that meeting, there's no guarantee it's not going to, it's going to happen. Yeah. And we force that meeting religiously. And the reason for that is because there, because of my experience and I've worked in it, I've, I've worked in finance as a controller and manufacturing controller. I've also had some marketing functionality. I have a bachelor's degree in marketing, but then also I've worked in operations for so long. I can typically kind of see where things are kind of coming off the rails mm -hmm. and lead the teams to start cross, uh, cross communicating and, and being collaborative. It's fantastic. And I would imagine in some of these same meetings, you might have an overabundance of product that might help drive a special promotion um, that you can ultimately bring to the table and talk about as well. Right. And it's, you know, to that point, it's actually um, my responsibility to lead by example in the C-suite. So, for example, maybe I see that we have an overabundance of uh, a specific set of samples um, that are left over kind of post-brand uh, change, right? They're, the, the products are super efficacious, they're fantastic, but our general interest in those samples has kind of waned because they're not the, the exciting feel of 2019. Well, I go to my team and I say, hey, let's give marketing some help. We're going to develop a product. I'm going to work it through finance. I'll carry it all the way through that process and uh, take that off of marketing's plate to move that product specifically. And I really try to lead my team to come up with innovative out-of-the-box solutions and then really carry those over the plate for those other organizations. And that, folks, is how C teams should be communicating. It's awesome. You really get involved in growth, growth strategies. You um, actually explain really ultimately the building blocks, if you will, to building great, great growth strategies. Uh, can you share some additional detail with us about those discussions and maybe some pointers on how other, what other people, what our listeners rather, should be thinking about regarding building their growth strategy? Uh, so one of the things that is really critical is when I uh, come into my teams, a lot of times from a growth standpoint, they've actually overgrown their success, 
right? So, so their success has started growing. Their um, systems may have become broken because of the volume. And so it starts limiting what levers people are willing to choose. Uh, so for example, they may say, oh, we're not doing a D to C promotion this month because if I get some influencer in here and they increase uh, demand by 20%, our systems are 10 days behind right now. We right. can't support it. So one of the key things that I do is I come in with my team and we bring in very systematic processes that can flex up and down based on what the growth is so that marketing is no longer afraid of how much volume they're going to be pushing through something. Mm -hmm. Then when we sit in and we're talking about growth strategies, it's really important that as I sit in those meetings with marketing, I have a can-do attitude that says, absolutely, you tell me what you want. You tell me what is your vision? What, what does this look like in the consumer's hands, right? Because yes. we're very much a final mile delivery, you know, touch point for the consumer. And I say things like, okay, so do you want tissue paper in there? Do you want it to uh, smell like um, coconut when she <laughs> opens the box, right? What is that final look and feel? Or what is that call to action? What's that CTA? And where do you want that? And then it's my team goes out then and um, sources and delivers that. Well, and, and at the end of the day, um, you're focused on the vendor management, the inventory accuracy, the in-stock financial analysis, inventory turn, I mean, all these different components, and you can't do that without a great system in place. I need to, to add that uh, we are on the floor of Sweet World uh, 2019. Talk to us about those systems that really help you make sure that you can deliver what the customer expectation is. So, so insightful that you say that. Uh, so one of the very first things that I do is I come into an organization and identify what enterprise resource planning system they're working on. Are they like all the way back to spreadsheets or are, what, are they on NetSuite or are they on something similar? Typically they're not, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then we start implementing best practices that clean up and allow visibility uh, for anyone anywhere. Uh, one of the things that you'll find is because we're globally sourced, these people could be anywhere around the world and they need to be able to have access to specifications. They need to be able to see who the last vendor was, what the last cost was, what the costing structure looks like. And NetSuite is fantastic for allowing all of this communication and warehousing this information in one area as well as allowing you to build business processes that anybody can plug and play in very, very quickly. Then once you've gotten the team stabilized and they've really got their feet underneath them, and now they're starting to see that they can move as fast as they want to, then you have the ability with NetSuite to not just grow with the standard NetSuite experience that you typically bring on, but also as you expand. So typically my last organization, we opened five markets in two years, but One World allows you to expand extremely quickly into these other markets, but cohesively with the same finance group. 
Well, and, and all of that ultimately, as we stated a moment ago, creates a good customer experience. And people historically have not looked at the back end systems as creating a great front end experience, especially you know, in, in, a, in a direct retail environment. Um, talk to us about how perfectly Posh has endeavored to differentiate here. Uh, so that's a great question. So if you think about a product maybe that you purchase, so for example, you're used to uh, purchasing a soap or a body butter, or one of these type of products. And, um, you know, so our traditional retail experience is I would go to a grocery store or maybe even to a high-end store. These would be on a shelf. I would take it home in my climate-controlled environment, and I would take it directly to my climate-controlled <laughs> bathroom, right. and I would utilize this product. And during that entire time, I might have all kinds of retail packaging that I, that I carefully protected, and uh, then I open it up, and it's in my bathroom. The key for me is because I'm direct to consumer, um, the integrity of that package, and that package of, is ability to excite you and to fill you with joy when you open it and to be experiential has to support multiple transit times and places and environments that are not necessarily the same as a temperature controlled retail environment. And so we do a lot of research in my organization, everything from outer box packaging to make sure that for our influencers, if she's purchasing or he's purchasing for an event, it will ship to them and unpack in beautifully pristine manner, regardless of what it's being packaged with. And then also directly to our consumer, when that individual opens up that box um, of product, and then unloads that product. And there's typically, so our average order size is about six to seven units, um, that those fragrances haven't mixed, that they haven't cross-contaminated uh, right. their other products, that nothing's melted because it's been sitting in Phoenix on their front porch. It's the little thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's every single one of those areas. And to deliver excellence, all the way through to where she opens that box up, sets that product on her shelf, and it's still delivering that excitement and feeling of not only pampering, but just, just pure joy is what we're really pushing when we, uh, you know, when we put out a product. Well, I tell you, you've certainly delivered excellence with us today in our audience. We thank you so much, Janae Woodard. Uh, setting expectations up front and measuring the day you hit the field is a great piece of advice. Thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.